This week's TribCast is sponsored by Lone Star College provides significant advantages for Texas students, their families, and the communities where they live and work. Find out more at lonestar.edu. And St. David's Foundation. Maternal mental health conditions are among the most common complications of childbirth and pregnancy. When left untreated, children bear the cost. Learn more about the practical solutions for the epidemic of maternal mental illness at learning.stdavidsfoundation.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for December 10th, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Texas Tribune. Today we're going to do kind of a little bit of a different format for the Tribcast because of some breaking news that happened this morning, a Supreme Court ruling in the Texas abortion law case, which means we are going to be joined by just one reporter, and it is our Supreme Court judicial expert, Reese Oxner. Reese. Uh, I hope you've you've uh, you're not too exhausted and can can help us walk us through this ruling. Thanks for joining. Yeah, I'm us. happy happy to be the lone guest for today. It's it's an honor, Matthew. All right, very good, very good. Okay, so basically, what happened here today was the U.S. Supreme Court made the decision to not block the enforcement of this. Texas abortion law, which bans abortions at six weeks, but did allow legal challenges to move forward in the case. Can you explain to us what what happened here? Kind of walk us through this ruling. Yeah, sure. So just like first surface level, uh, two things happened with two different cases. The first uh, was the lawsuit that we've been watching for, for months now uh, from abortion providers. They first filed in the summer and it's hit uh, several roadblocks since. And, and it was sitting pretty much without any action for, for a couple months now. And so basically the Supreme Court freed that case to return to the U.S. District Court and resume the proceedings that have been paused for some time now. Uh, the Supreme Court did not do that just uh, freely. They're, they removed certain key defendants from that case. I can get into that in a bit. Uh, but that's essentially the first thing that happened. The second thing is uh, the Department of Justice lawsuit. The lawsuit waged by the Biden administration has effectively been halted. Um, the The Supreme Court decided just to end that lawsuit in a very short opinion today. And so those are the two cases that have been the highest profile ones. And now we've finally uh, seen what the Supreme Court has decided. Okay. And so basically, if people remember, what happened was this lawsuit that has been allowed to continue was filed before the law was supposed to go into effect on September 1st. There was a hearing, I think, for, uh, I think, what, the the Friday or, or maybe the Monday before the law went into effect. I think it was the Monday now. Yeah. Uh, in which, but then the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals stepped in and blocked that hearing, right? Uh, they, the abortion providers then appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court declined to step in then, but now have kind of stepped in and are allowing that case to proceed. So we should expect now, right, is for the case to go back to the federal district court, where presumably that judge will likely take action pretty soon. In, in fact, the Supreme Court urged the judge to to act quickly on this, right? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're back in the U.S. District Court. It's a little bit of deja vu because 
the judge, Robert Pittman, is actually the same judge in, that was in charge of both cases. And so the law was temporarily uh, blocked or the enforcement was blocked for about two days uh, uh, as a part of that Department of Justice lawsuit. The Fifth Circuit also stepped in on that case and, and reversed that order. And that's just one of the many events that kind of dominoed into the Supreme Court getting involved. At that point, this this abortion providers case had been stalled for some time. So many people thought that the Department of Justice's involvement is kind of what might kickstarted the Supreme Court in taking out both cases. Um, but yeah, yeah, essentially the Supreme Court was is mostly focused on the technical um, and procedural difficulties of Texas's law. Uh, they haven't concerned themselves so far with the overall constitutionality of it, nor with the the right to an abortion in general. It's really about can Texas get around, uh, you know, constitutional precedent through this enforcement mechanism by allowing private citizens to sue. And so we didn't get a, a complete answer again today, like many people are hoping for. And, you know, at, at first glance, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, this is a win for abortion providers. And I, I, I've heard it kind of characterized as it wasn't a huge loss it, or it wasn't as big of as a loss as it could have been because it's not really clear how abortion providers can win at this point. Going back to the defendants in that case, uh, the judges and the state clerks, uh, that they, that's what the Supreme Court said, that the, the judges and the state court clerks cannot be named as defendants. And that was like a key strategy for abortion providers. Uh, they were trying to block them from taking on lawsuits altogether. Now it's a little bit murky as to where we go from next. Right. Of course, the, the enforcement mechanism that is so kind of beguiling to people is that basically the, it's the state that's not enforcing the six-week ban. It's the any private citizen can sue and, and reap damages. Um, and basically the potential liability of that is what is kind of had a freezing effect on abortions past six weeks, right? And so the idea of um, suing the district clerks and the um, the judges is is basically that they can't, if you sue them and get an injunction saying they can't accept lawsuits based on this ground, then you've essentially taken out the enforcement mechanism there and, and it can't be enforced in, in the way that people are so concerned about. But, but now, as you mentioned, right, now they're, they're going to have to come up if, if they hope to get this law in effect blocked and remove that liability that's having the freezing effect, they're going to have to come up with some other way. And, and it's not entirely clear what that way is right now. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's how uh, judge Pittman approached his, his order before he blocked kind of, he kind of took the teeth out of the law, uh, if you will, by, by blocking lawsuits from ever coming into effect in, in state courts. And we even saw some providers resume services during that time that were previously blocked by SBA. Uh, but we're not we're not gonna see like uh, resuming of services in that same way right now because effectively, you know, the same the law is still in effect. It's been in effect for over a hundred days now and that hasn't really changed with this Supreme Court decision. Right. So the reaction among 
abortion providers today has been pretty bleak, right? The we, we saw a little bit of celebration in kind of the minutes after I mean, a statement from Whole Women's Health. But as the day has progressed, it feels like there's been a lot more concern. You know, Mark Heron, senior counsel for the Center for Reproductive Rights, is quoted in one of our stories saying, this is a dark day for abortion patients and for physicians and providers. Amy Hexstrom Miller, who runs the Whole Women's Health Clinics, uh, I believe there are four in the state of Texas, said that the future of her clinics looks bleak. Her quote, staying open is not sustainable if this ban stays in effect much longer. And so, like you said, the it wasn't a complete denial. It wasn't a, a loss for the abortion clinics and, and for people who believe in abortion rights, but it's, it's not necessarily an encouraging sign either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, right. Right off the bat, uh, you know, both, both sides, we, we reached out to both sides and both, uh, pro-abortion or anti-abortion advocates both said, you know, this is a partial victory. And so whenever you have both sides calling a partial victory, you know, there's some type of compromise there. But yeah, like you said, the, the initial response from abortion providers was like, oh yeah, this is, you know, a small step towards victory. But I think just as, you know, diving into that opinion and realizing kind of the implications um, and kind of what, you know, the opportunity costs, like what, what did we lose out on um, during, with this decision, well, we didn't get an answer on whether this enforcement mechanism. Uh, well, actually, it, it seems like it's allowable right now. It seems like other copycat laws could come from Texas or other states um, for a whole host of of constitutional rights, and that's what some of the justices address as well. There wasn't a firm condemnation of that mechanism, and you know, we we probably won't see one unless the case uh, gets back to the Supreme Court or another similar case. Um, and even then, who knows what we'll what we'll hear back? Absolutely. And I, I want to get back into that uh, here in a little bit, but but I also wanted to just ask, I mean, is this a surprise? Because when I feel like the narrative coming out of the oral arguments in this case about what five weeks ago was that there was a lot of skepticism around this this enforcement mechanism. any any sense of what happened here? is this is this different than what we were expecting today? So I think a lot of us um, and a lot of legal experts and Supreme Court watchers were expecting a little bit of a stronger action um, condemning this this enforcement mechanism, right? We already know uh, that the Supreme Court has a conservative supermajority, conservative-leaning justices um, outnumber the liberal justices. And so they've been vocal in the past about the possibility of eroding abortion rights. But what we heard during the hearing was that they had a huge problem with the implications of allowing this type of enforcement to stand and what it could do for other constitutional rights, whether it's gun rights, uh, same-sex marriage, or any host of constitutional rights, especially ones that are less favored by certain states. So we were thinking we might see a little bit more of a firm answer on whether or not this is allowed. And this was an opportunity for the Supreme Court to say, no, states can't you know, circumvent federal rule in this way. Uh, but we didn't. And so I think that was the, the possibly surprising part, especially from, you know, we, we did have different uh, comments from the more conservative justices that we could have been led to believe, you know, they might take a firmer stand. And it was still a close vote. I mean, as to who to allow to sue the state clerks, I think it was a 5-4 kind of vote, um, whether or not what, to remove them from the lawsuit in general. And so that's kind of the surprising part. But the not surprising part, I guess, is just that we've kind of not had a real finger on the pulse of what the Supreme Court's going to do or when they're going to do it. It seems like, you know, again, they can do whatever they want when they want. Sure, sure. All right, let's pause for a second and hear from our sponsors. 
the Texas State University System. Lamar University ranks third nationally and first in Texas for engineering graduate net earnings, outperforming Stanford, Rice, and MIT. Visit tsus.edu for more. And Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas is dedicated to creating access to health care for uninsured and low-income families in South Texas through health care services, advocacy, and strategic grant making. Learn more at mhm.org. Okay, Reese, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of it pertaining to other constitutional rights, because this is something that has come up a lot even before the the, the, the ruling today. And I think a lot of people are, are remarking on even some of the justices. I mean, we had quotes from uh, Justice Sotomayor, who basically said, Texas's scheme in the future um, will be kind of repeated, copycatted almost, uh, to target, quote, the exercise of any right recognized by this court with which the lawmakers disagree. This is no hypothetical. New permutations of SB8 are coming. You also had Chief Justice Roberts, no kind of conservative on the court, coming out and saying, you know, the clear and purpose, the clear purpose and actual effect of SB8 has been to nullify this court's rulings. The nature of the federal right infringed does not matter. It is the role of the Supreme Court in our constitutional system that is at stake. I mean, there seem to be, I mean, these are Supreme Court justices. These aren't abortion advocates. He seemed to be raising concerns about what this means for every, you know, everyone's rights, whether it's gun rights or the right to free speech or, or so many other different rights that are, you know, largely protected by the federal courts that, and, and by the methods that Texas seems to be kind of going around with the enforcement mechanism of SBA. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that was the major concern that was expressed by the majority of the justices over SB8. And, you know, it, it, it stands to note uh, that abortion, a person's right to an abortion before fetal viability remains good law. It remains a Supreme Court precedent. And so the fact that Texas has been able to limit that past that precedent is what makes this law so novel and so also dangerous. I mean, we, we've seen gun right uh, advocates come forward and tell the court, yeah, please strike down this law because we're scared what it could do for gun rights. We've seen, you know, more conservative, even uh, anti-abortion, um, you know, advocates say, right, this, we, we want to take, we want to focus on abortion rights, but we don't want to focus on it in this way because it is kind of a legal loophole and a lot of people fear for what it could mean for the rule of law in a variety of ways. Yeah, I was really surprised to see uh, Joe Poshman from the, uh, I believe it's Texas Alliance for Life come out and, you know, be pretty critical of this enforcement mechanism and express some of those same worries. I mean, this is ultimately a, a law and even a day that has been kind of monumental for their cause, you know, fighting abortion rights. And, and even he was kind of saying, you know, I'm worried about where this could go. I'm not sure this is the right way to do it. I do wonder, Reese, you know, we, of course, should mention that there is this Mississippi case, right, um, where there were oral arguments recently. There is a conservative, large conservative majority on the court, and they seem very interested on at least peeling back that Roe v. Raid right to an abortion that as of right now still exists in, in federal uh, jurisprudence. Is there any way they're kind of trying to play out the clock here and and not have there be like a firm, solid conclusion in this case, this SB8 case, until after they've established 
whatever it is they want to establish in that Mississippi abortion ruling? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're already taking up right, a, or they're expected to take up a person's right to an abortion. Uh, in that Mississippi case, the justices were asked to do that. Again, they haven't said they were going to explicitly, and they might not, but we are all expecting that to come up, right? And it's been something that's been hanging in the balance for a long time. And so really, uh, they, they could ride out the clock and avoid talking about a person's right to an abortion because they're already considering this case. Uh, they already heard oral arguments, were expected and set to receive a decision this summer. And so that decision could come then and they could continue to, you know, just focus on the technical or technicalities of this law. Um, the Supreme Court could take this law up again, uh, Texas's law, because, you know, as we see, it's back in the district court. If uh, Judge Pittman once again makes an order that somehow limits it or some type of order that the defendants disagree with, they are expected to immediately appeal to the Fifth Circuit. The Fifth Circuit has sided with Texas, uh, you know, very, um, nearly every time or every time. Um, so we could very well expect to see the Supreme Court being asked again to step in. Yeah, it's one of those kind of funny situations where the the district judge is, I think, kind of has a reputation as being more on the liberal side, more uh, s- supportive in, in his actions um, of, of abortion rights. And of course, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, kind of famously known as uh, perhaps the most conservative appeals court in the country. So, you know, there's there's steps that come after this. And, you know, we almost kind of have an idea of how some of these next steps might actually play out, right? I, 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 it would not be surprising at all to see Pittman come in and, and, and find some kind of way to attempt to block this law yeah. when it's back in his court. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everything about this case has been unprecedented. So from, from every stage, we're like, you know, we have legal experts saying uh, a judge can do X, Y, Z, and the other saying, no, they can't do that. And there's a lot of debate over the jurisdiction that even these these federal judges have. And so we, we I'm, I'm curious to see what Pittman does. We, we already know, you know, he's kind of tilted his hand in thinking that this law is unconstitutional with his previous order. And so, yeah, I'm curious to see what he what he does there. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So there was one other ruling in this around SB8 this week, too. There was a, a ruling in district court. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that pertains to all this as well? Sure. And so this this is kind of the, the strongest, I guess, uh, it was a final judgment order declaring SB8 as unconstitutional. And this was a uh, this was a judge, a retired judge who he was a registered Republican. You know, people weren't really sure what to expect. Uh, it is in state court, so there's less jurisdiction there. Uh, it was, you know, it wasn't speculated that he could really have the same weight as a judge like uh, District Judge Pittman could do or the Supreme Court, of course. But he essentially declared that the law was unconstitutional, which had a direct bearing on the 14 cases he was overseeing. So these are 14 individual cases filed in state courts uh, challenging the law. And so he essentially did resolve those lawsuits. Uh, the, the people, you know, the defendants in those cases uh, can't sue the plaintiffs. And so Texas Right to Life was named as a defendant. They can't sue those plaintiffs uh, now because of that judge's action. And the secondary kind of factor is the judge is it's basically like advice to other courts, right? It's not necessarily a binding order where courts have to declare that the law is unconstitutional, but it almost certainly would be used as precedent if, say, an abortion provider was sued over 
uh, through SB8, they could cite this uh, finding by this judge as a part of their defense. That won't immediately shut it down, but it's another kind of the tool that they can use. And of course, as you pointed out in your previous reporting, that one of the, the concerns about this law is that there's no way to recruit, recoup legal fees if you are sued, right, if, in, in win your case, right? So an abortion clinic could basically be sued, have to defend itself, even if it has this ruling behind it and wins the case, it would presumably have to spend a good amount of money on lawyers and legal fights to get to that point, which in and of itself has its own chilling effect. It's, it's just part of the kind of complicated, you know, fairly creative setup that, that yeah, Texas I mean, lawmakers that's, put into this law. That's part of what, what, does it, what makes the law so dangerous for abortion providers is it really does threaten financial ruin if, if there are, you know, organizations or people who are going to go against it. And and that's why we haven't seen that happen very much. We have very few cases. I can count on, on one hand how many lawsuits are actually been filed. It's because, you know, they, they can't recoup their costs. Uh, they're already struggling abortion providers because they had to effectively end at least half of their procedures. And we heard today, right? Yeah, that's not financially tenable for these clinics to continue on like this for very long. And we that Texas has a history of putting limiting laws in place, even temporarily that have, you know, very disastrous outcomes for abortion clinics. Um, we've seen, you know, the number of clinics uh, nearly half or half after previous le- legislative actions. And now we we may see something similar as a backlash, even if SB8 was later repealed. Right, right. Okay, well, you know, we have a lot of coverage on this on texastribune.org. Many reporters out uh, as we speak, publishing and writing stories, including Reese's great story on the ruling. So check that out at texastribune.org. Thank you, Reese, for talking us through this. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thank you to Michael Ray, and thank you to our, our producer, Michael Ray, and thank you to our sponsors, Lone Star College, St. David's Foundation, the Texas State University System, and Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas. We'll talk to you all next week.